Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. John 15 and verse 1. I am the true grapevine. That's Jesus speaking. And my Father, that's God, is the gardener. And verse 2 says that he, the gardener, cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. He eliminates it. He gets rid of it. If we're not producing, if we're not bearing fruit, then we're of no use. We're of no good. Are you hearing me? God doesn't just keep people around to keep them around. God doesn't just keep us hanging around. Uh, He's merciful, yes. He's gracious, yes. But he is also a steward. He is a master, and a master does not just keep things wasteful laying around that are taking up space. There's another parable that uh, Jesus told where he said that there was a master of a vineyard that had a tree that had not produced any fruit for three years. That's a long time, for three years. And he went to the, the, uh, the, the vine dresser or the one that was in charge of taking care of the crops, the master of the field went to the one that's taking care of the crops and says, get that thing out of here. It's not producing anything. Well, the, the, the vine keeper or the gardener said, why don't we keep it around one more year? Give me one more year and I'm going to take care of the earth around it. I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to do some stuff with the soil. I'm going to get down into the root of the thing. And, And if I can't get fruit off of it in one more year, then we'll remove it. But ultimately, the expectation is what? To bear fruit. God's expectation out of our lives is that we bear fruit. And so he says what? If we're not producing, remove it. Get rid of it. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he cuts off. And then he goes on to say, he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. Why? So they will produce even more. So he's not even just satisfied with some. God is a God that wants to see more. God knows what's in you. God knows your potential. God knows what you're capable of. He's the creator. He's the designer. He's the manufacturer. He's the master. Nobody knows the potential greater than the master. I said nobody knows the potential of something greater than the one that manufactured it and designed it and mastered it. So if God says, hey, there's more in you to produce, guess what? There's more in you. God never makes a demand where he doesn't make a deposit. So he knows I put something in you and I want to see it come out. I want to see it produce. I want to see more show up. And even when we think we've produced all that we can produce, and even when we think we've come to our limit, and even when we think we've seen all that that we're capable of doing, that's when he starts cutting on and pruning and eliminating things. Why? Because he knows there's more to come out. But notice that over time, even when we are producing, we will accumulate, accumulate things that will disrupt the level of production he knows we can produce. Over time, we get things that grow on us. 
or we turn our lives over to things that ultimately God will show up in our life and say, hey, let's deal with this. And let's get rid of this. And let's cut back on this. And let's slow down on that. And let's eliminate this. The title of my message today is The Process of Elimination. The Process of Elimination. We all have to go through a process of elimination. Because what happens is growth is a great thing. Growing and advancing and expanding. But along the way, we gain things and have things added and accumulate things that will become dangerous to our production. They'll become dangerous to the level of production that God knows we are capable of. I do this all the time when, as, as a pastor. Probably most of my counseling sessions or most of a, a, a time of sitting down and talking with someone about a struggle or an issue they're going through, I could really just call it a process of elimination. You know what I have found, and I ministered on this a few weeks ago, what I have found is that people will love to add things. We love to gain. We love things added. We love increase. But what happens is, is we're not very good at sacrifice. We're not very good at cutting away. We're not very good at cutting back. We're not, we, we don't do a great job at removing. It's the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler approached Jesus and he said what? Good sir, good teacher, what must I do to inherit, to inherit, to gain, to get access to, to add? What was he looking to do? He was looking to gain something. He was looking to add something to everything else he already had in his life. He was looking to, to advance or grow in something, which is a great uh, desire. But Jesus pointed to him and he said, well, you know the commandments. Keep the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. These are the Ten Commandments. Keep those. And he said, oh yeah, I've kept those. I've done that. And Jesus' response to the rich young ruler, of course, was go and sell all you have and give. The access to gaining was giving. The access to adding was letting go. The way that Jesus showed this young man, if you want to add something to your life, you have to be willing to remove something from your life. Why? Because we always have things that will disrupt production. We always have things. See, what we do is we'll add at the expense of production. 
We'll gain, we'll increase, we'll grow, we'll advance, we'll add things, we'll accumulate all these things at the expense of our production. And it looks like we're doing something. It looks like we're going somewhere. It looks like we're taking the right steps. But ultimately, we haven't even made a sacrifice yet. We say things like, what do I need to do? Well, maybe it's what we don't need to do. Maybe the answer isn't adding another checkbox to your list. Maybe it's eliminating something from the list altogether. Maybe it's removing something. It's the sacrifice. And in Mark chapter 5, there's a story here. I've never seen this story in this light, in this way. But as I was studying this, something stood out to me. Something stood out to me. And in Mark chapter 5, and I want to begin with verse 25. And I'll just catch you up real quick. Jesus has just shown up in this town. And immediately as he shows up, a man named Jairus comes and approaches Jesus and says, I need your help. I have a daughter who's 12 years old. She's at home at the point of death, but I know if you can just come and lay your hands on her, I know if you can come and and pray over her, she will be healed. Jesus's fame at this point is spreading. Jesus's awareness and and people hearing about what is happening as a result of his ministry is growing and, and is advancing. And so Jairus knows this is my last shot. This is all I've got. If I can get you to rush to my house, and get, and get there before she dies, I know that you can heal her. I've heard about what you're doing. I've seen uh, the, the, the testimonies and the stories and, 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 and the miracles that you're doing uh, at, at, the, at the hand uh, of what you're doing. I know that you can touch my daughter and make her whole. Well, we're in a hurry, right? Every second counts. Every second counts. So Jesus goes on his way with Jairus. And it says here in verse 25 that a woman in the crowd, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd. A woman in the crowd has suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal. Uh, The New King James says she endured a great deal. She suffered a great deal from many doctors. I thought they're supposed to help you. And they're only adding to the suffering. She suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, watch this, she spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she gotten worse. She wasn't getting better. She was getting worse. Now, first off, I want to show you something about this woman that is actually bigger than just the issue. Some of you may know this story, heard this story. We don't even know this woman by name. All we know her as is the woman with the issue of blood. She's identified by her issue. Anyone ever been identified by your issue? Been identified, but you felt like your struggle was bigger than your name. It's your identity. I'm known as this person. 
Whatever struggle that is, whatever you're enduring, whatever you're suffering from, she's known as the woman with the issue of blood. And so she comes to Jesus at a point in her life where she's exhausted. Because here's what happens. A lot of times, the initial problem is no longer the main problem anymore. It causes other problems. It spirals out of control. First off, we know this, that her physical problem led to a financial problem because it tells us that she spent all that she had. That means she spent all that she had. Whatever she had in savings, whatever resource she had, whatever level of finance she had, it is gone. It has been depleted. She is deficient in the financial capacity. She has no more finance left for anything else. She has thrown all the money she had at trying to find a cure for this sickness. So now our physical problem has become a financial problem. Beyond that, the specific issue that she had caused her to be forced into isolation. She can't just be around crowds. She can't just uh, associate like you and I associate. She just can't show up in the marketplace and show up in the middle of town and go to the synagogue like she wants to with her friends and, and, and just do the normal. Her everyday life has now been disrupted. So a physical problem has now turned into a financial problem, has now turned into a social problem. Now her relationships are askew. And now uh, even her identity and socially how she is viewed. She's viewed as depraved and she's viewed as cast aside and she's viewed as contaminated. And I'll take it even one step further. The reason why she had to go into isolation was because of a religious ceremonial law. So she has a physical problem that has turned into a financial problem that has accumulated into a social problem that also has caused her to have a religious problem. Y'all ever notice that it just takes one issue to cause all these other issues? I mean, it's almost like the issue of blood is, is the, the, the lowest of the priority now. She doesn't have money to live off of. She can't socially associate in life as she ought to. Now she's got a completely improper and incorrect view of God and his view of her. I mean, what are you thinking when the, it's, it's the church that puts this on you? It's the church that casts you out because of your condition, because of your issue, because we are religiously holding to our ceremonial values. I mean, Jesus came to disrupt things. We've talked about this before. And Jesus was constantly trying to show us that the Old Testament law, the broken system of the law, could not cure, could not heal, could not mend, could not restore, could not redeem. It could not do that. And in this woman's life, it's causing a, 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 a very great issue and a very great challenge in her life. But this is where we went wrong. We went to the wrong resource. 
We went to the wrong resource. Because Jesus is about to show himself in a very powerful and mighty way in this woman's life. But what happens is, when we go to the wrong resource, we end up with the wrong results. Every time. Every time. When we run to the wrong resources, we end up with the wrong results. This woman is approaching Jesus in this crowd at a point of being at her absolute lowest. You know, I, I, I meet people all the time. They come to Jesus when they're at their lowest. They come to Jesus when they're burnt out. They come to Jesus when they've tried everything else. They come to Jesus when they've lost all hope. They come to Jesus. Come on, some of you in this room have been in that position. I came to Jesus because I tried everything else. I tried the drugs. I tried the alcohol. I tried the sex. I tried the relationships. I tried the job. I tried the promotion. I tried the money. And it all failed me every time. Why? Because it's not designed to be a resource in your life. It can't do it. It can't solve the problem. It can't solve the issue. She found an issue. She was contaminated with an issue that was beyond natural mending, natural source, a natural ability to cure. And she has tried everything. She has spent everything. You know what I found out is if you don't know what you rely on and if you don't know what you consider a resource in your life, here's one indicator. What is taking all your strength? That's an indicator. Where are you maximizing? Where are you putting your greatest effort? That is a pretty good indicator of what you consider a resource in your life. What are you spending the most of your money on? What are you throwing the most of your energy and your time at? What are you, what are you putting and striving and, and, and going after? That is what you consider a resource. And if I told you what you consider a resource, you might deny it until we look at your bank account, until we look at how you're managing your time and how much time it takes from you, uh, how much thought you're giving to it, how much of your mental capacity, how much of your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions you're throwing at it, that is what is a resource in your life. This, these doctors and these, this challenge is zapping her strength, zapping her finances, zapping her hope. You know what happens when you try time and time and time and time again at, at getting something cured, getting something mended, getting something removed from your life that you know is toxic and destroying you, and you get, you, you get, you, you arrive at failure over and over and over. You know what happens? It's called hopelessness. Hopelessness. You don't even see hope anymore. You don't even see the light at the end of the tunnel anymore. You don't even see a way out anymore. Before we can arrive with strong faith, we have to first arrive at hope. Hope 
fuels faith. Hope fuels faith. Hope is the anchor for the soul. You show me someone that is hopeless, and I'll show you someone that is also diminished and deficient in faith. Faith is believing in what you do not see. And hope is the energy or the fuel to faith. And when people arrive at hopelessness, whether it be through trying and trying and trying, whether it be through being given up on over and over and over, whether it be through a zapping of strength because you are straining with every ounce of energy within you to try to overcome and to try to heal and to try to mend and to try to recover and to try to, to, to move forward in life. Whatever it is, when your hope is diminished, your faith is weakened. When hope is diminished, faith is weakened. It's impossible to please God without faith. But it's impossible to walk in faith without hope. See, a lot of times I can't even work on faith with people. I have to first work on their hope. I have to be able to have a want to again. I have to be able uh, to get them to a place where they will will themselves to healing and to recovery. Yeah, we know the story. We know this woman presses through the crowd, right? We know this woman reaches for the hem of Jesus's garment. I'm talking to church people. Y'all know this story, right? You already knew that when I started reading verse 25. A woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. Oh, yeah, it presses through the crowd, touch the hem of his garment, and, and, and Jesus turns around and says, you know, who, who took that power? The uh, power went from me. Who was that? And she comes boldly, you know, not boldly. She comes in fear and trembling and shy and timid and says, that was me. And Jesus tells her, you know, your faith has made you. Y'all know the story. But what gets her to the point to be able to press through a crowd after she has done all that she's done and has not gotten better, only grown worse. Only gotten worse. How do we arrive there? Well, I believe, I believe it's the process of elimination. It's the process of elimination. It wasn't until the other resources were removed that she could go to Jesus. It wasn't until the pruning took place. You know, I've said this the last several weeks, and it just bears repeating. And there's probably someone in here that hasn't heard me say it yet, so it's for you. But trial and challenges prove what you rely on. Trials and challenges prove what you rely on. I know a lot of people that in 2019 would have told you they trust in God. 
God is my source. Oh, I know the word. The word tells me God is my healer. By his stripes, I am healed. But 2020 proves something different. 2020 proved you trust in soap. You trust in hand sanitizer and a mask and distancing or the government or the president or the economy or health care or medical experts or a doctor. Now, everything that I just mentioned to you is a resource. And everything I just mentioned to you can provide a level of benefit to your life. So I'm not telling you to not wash your hands. You better wash your hands. I am not going back. I'm not going in that bathroom. Pastor Mark, by by faith, I don't need to wash my hands. Not what I'm saying. I'm talking about trust, not exercise. I'm talking about trust. And we, we don't really know what we trust in until it's taken away. You, 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 don't, you don't know. You can say you don't know what you trust in until it's attacked, until it's removed. Trust is an interesting thing. Faith is an interesting thing. Because God is not calling us to a, a 10% level of faith a 50% level of faith, a 95% level of faith. God is calling his people to a 100% level of faith in him. 100%. And you know how sometimes you get there? Removing, eliminating, casting away, cutting off, cutting down, pushing aside, It's amazing the things that we trust in. It's amazing the things that we rely on. And again, when we rely on the wrong resources, you'll get the wrong results every time. You get the wrong results every time. The result you get reveals what you're relying on. Spirit's broken. I mean, I've told you, you can't blame 2020 on 2020. You blame 2020 on 2019. You blame 2020 on 2018. It's what goes in that comes out. Trial and challenge don't demote you. Trials and challenges don't take away from you. They prove. They prove. You know what the word test in the Bible really means? When you see the word test, it means to prove. Think about it. You're in school and you're tested on something. You are typically tested on something you already or should already know. Now that's on you, right, Mama Myrna? That, that's, that's on you. I put the I, I gave you the quiz, I gave you the study sheet, 
I gave you the review. We taught this in class. We've exercised it together. I've educated. Now I'm testing you. And I'm not testing you to keep you somewhere. I'm testing you to get you somewhere. Has 2020 been testing to you? Has it been challenging to you? You should be thankful and you should be looking for where you're going to go in 2021 because I stood my ground. I proved myself. I passed the test and now I'm advancing. I'm going forward. I'm going to the next level. I'm going to the next grade. Bring on the test because I know I'm going to pass it. I've got confidence on the inside. But you can only have the confidence in the test in 2020 if you studied in 2019 and you exercised it in 2018 and you put it in in 2017. Somebody with me? It's all connected. It's all connected. My level of trust and my level of faith and my level of believing in him and trusting in him and relying on him is because I've been putting it in. Well, when we find this woman here in this verse, in verses 25 and 26, we find her at a very low state. We find her in a very low position. We find her at the bottom. You just put yourself in her shoes. She's been battling this for 12 years. I mean, our church hasn't even been here for 12 years yet. Maybe you're battling something that's going on 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. I mean, the longer it goes, the more diminished the hope becomes. The more weaker my faith comes. And we need a faith that will stand the test of time. Abraham stood in faith that he was going to be the father of many nations from 75 to 100. More than double the length of time this woman has been sick with this issue of blood. 25 years. 25 years. His faith stood the test. His faith remained in God for 25 years. Do we have 25-year faith? I'm afraid the church doesn't even have 25-minute faith. Why? Because we want the microwave. We want to stick it in the microwave and and you, you know, I do it too. I put it in the microwave, and that's still too long. I stand by there looking at it. Well, maybe it's bubbling already. Maybe it doesn't need to go the full three minutes and 20 seconds like the box says. Maybe I can get it out at two minutes and 50 seconds. How about that? That's fat. I just saved 30 seconds. I mean, that's valuable 30 seconds because you have to let it stand and cool for one minute. That's another minute I can't eat my food. We get in the microwave faith. We get in what can God do right now. And God can do something right now. But where's your hope at? Where's your faith at? Well, it's the process of elimination. We accumulate things over time that we end up putting more reliance upon and more dependence upon and more faith in than we do God's word.
Her hope is at the bottom. She cannot see. She, she is, she's given up. She's done. She suffered a great, me, a great deal, verse 26, for many doctors. And over the years, she spent everything she had. And I'll tell you right now, the enemy wants nothing more than for you to exert all of your energy trying to solve something his way and he will keep you stuck in it. See, that's why the Bible says he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's not after just killing this woman. He would have done it 12 years ago. No, he's got a bigger plan in place. I'm gonna destroy her faith. I'm gonna destroy her socially. I'm gonna destroy her financially. I'm gonna destroy her belief in what God can even do because it was the the church, it was the religious system of that day that even put these restraints and constrictions on her life. I'm gonna destroy her completely. I'm gonna steal, I'm gonna kill, and I'm gonna destroy. And it doesn't say that he's come to steal or kill or destroy. He will come to steal and kill and destroy. He'll do all of it. He'll take you out. He'll take your family out. He'll take your legacy out. He'll take your history out. He'll take your purpose out. He'll take your future out. He'll get after all of it. He's not interested in just getting you. It's not about you. Look at your neighbor say, it ain't about you. It's not even about you. He's after all of it. And man, he will run you in circles. Why do we even have to use, why do we use the, the, the statement, don't get your hopes up? Y'all heard people say that? What are we saying? Don't exert any more energy or effort to that level of resource any longer. Don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. I'm telling you this morning, Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Get your hope up. Let hope arise again. Let 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 that let let that well up. And look, the the only reason you don't want to hope is because you got burned last time, and you got burned the time before that, and you got burned the time before that. And every single time you get up and get knocked down, you get up and get knocked down, you get up and get knocked down. You were doing good for a week, you got knocked down. You did good for a month and got knocked down. Man, you were you were fighting, and now we can't even make it Sunday to Sunday. We can't even make it to the parking lot. You get your hope up in here, and the second you drive off the property, the enemy's badgering you in your mind again. That ain't real. That was emotional. That was just a feeling. Right? That's what Rebecca was telling you. She's encouraging. This isn't about emotion. This isn't about feeling. This is the presence of God. This is your opportunity to enter in. This is your opportunity to cast off and put down everything that's weighing on you. The enemy loves it when you get your hopes up and you get knocked down. You get your hopes up and get knocked down. There was another story of an individual that Jesus healed. A lame man at a pool called Bethesda. He had been laying there for 38 years. 38 years. And the whole trick to that show was the first person in the water when an angel came down and stirred the water would be healed. And it said, and Jesus approached him and he said, you know, what do you want? And he said, well, I want to be healed. 
Why would he ask such a stupid question? Right? Uh, I don't know, Jesus, you got any ice cream on you? Got a million dollars? I mean, obviously, I'm laying here because I'm lame. The whole goal is to get in the water, but every time I try to get in, someone beats me in. What's he saying? I'm losing hope. This, this process isn't working. Where was his reliance? Where was his dependence? What was his resource? The water. Everybody, all of us have resources. You can name them off right now. What do you trust in? What are you dependent on? Some of y'all dependent on November 4th. That's your resource. Come on now. We all have resources that cannot satisfy what God can satisfy, what only God can do. Jesus asked him, what do you want? Because he had to get the man to want again. Jesus has the power, right? Jesus has the power to heal. Do we believe that? Jesus has the power to heal. Does the woman have the power to heal on her own? No, absolutely not. She doesn't have the power residing in her. She doesn't have the ability residing in her to heal herself. Would have done it already. Obviously, everything she's relying on and depending on doesn't have the capacity to cure her, make her well, get her healed. But we go on down to verse... Um, Verse 34, after the woman's been healed and the woman comes to Jesus, trembling and frightened. In verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Isn't that interesting? Your faith, your faith. In essence, Jesus is saying this, I had the power, but if you didn't bring the faith, this wouldn't have happened. He doesn't respond to her and say, my power made you well. Go in peace. He lets her know, it's your faith. If you didn't have the faith, I couldn't heal you. How do I know this to be true? Because in Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. Verses 1 through 6, he goes back to his hometown, back to a familiar spot, back to where, uh, you know, all his friends and his neighbors and, and, you know, all the people that he built, you know, dining tables for and, and rocking chairs and beds and, you know, working in the carpentry business with his dad. They knew his brothers, they knew his sisters, they knew his mom, knew his dad. They, they knew everything about him. And they said, how, how is it that this man has this much power? How is he going around doing all these miracle signs and wonders? And how does he teach with, with, with such boldness and such clarity and such authority? Isn't this just Jesus? Man, anytime you put just in front of something, that's dangerous. He's not just Jesus. But it goes on to say that Jesus could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. It literally says that. Not because he didn't have the power. Not because he woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day. Not because he wasn't feeling it. Because of their unbelief. See, your faith is what connects to God's power and draws on it. You see what I'm saying? 
this removes the whole argument of, you know, if it's God's will. That's garbage. Just read your Bible. You'll find out what God's will is. This is his will. This is his written will to you. His revealed will, his revealed plan to you. Healing is yours. And he has the power to heal. He has the power to set free. Where's the disconnect? My faith. My faith. If I'm weak in faith, if I have a little faith, if I am diminished in faith, then I have to work on my faith to get it to connect to God's power and draw. When I went to Bible school, I remember I was 18 years old. I graduated high school in May, and I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma in September. And I had to learn to do a few things on my own. You know, you're living on your own, living by yourself, doing your own grocery shopping, doing your own, you know, doing everything. And so I remember getting up one morning and getting ready for class, and I decided I was going to have some Pop-Tarts. And you have to wait on them. We've, we've been through this. You have to wait on it to heat up. It doesn't just happen magically. And so I had this machine called a toaster. And you take the Pop-Tarts and you put them down into the toaster. It goes down, and you can set the little heat setting. Anybody ever burn Pop-Tarts? It's the worst smell in the world. It's it just, it's awful. Somebody's playing tricks and running that thing all the way up to eight. You don't need it on eight. Probably a four or five is good enough. If you like it a little crispy, go to maybe a six. If you get in a seven or eight range, you burn in that sucker. Eight range is like for frozen stuff. Eggos or waffles or something. But I'm getting this Pop-Tart, so I'd put pot pop them down into the, the, the toaster, and I go off to get ready and, you know, finish getting ready and come back, and they're just sitting in there, not cooking, nothing hot, nothing. This is, I don't know, 20 years ago, and, you know, now they have these, this, most of the toasters that I've seen these days, if it's not plugged in the wall, it won't go down. That's a smart idea, because then you don't do what I did. Mine wasn't that cool. Mine went down and made you think it was, it was doing all the stuff it was supposed to do. It went down, it clicked, had it on the right setting, but I had a problem. See, there's an outlet in the wall. In my apartment, there's power running all through this outlet. I said, there's power running all through the building. The power is there. The power is available. But I forgot to do something. I forgot to connect to the outlet that sends the power from the building through the receptacle, through the wire. That's about is all I know. I don't, I don't know how to explain it any better than that. It draws on that power, sends it into the toaster, powers the toaster on, and those little metal things on the inside heat up. And they warm up to a nice, crisp Pop-Tart. I 
And that's how we do a lot with our faith. He's got the power. It's available to you. We've got all the the mechanics, all the mechanisms, all the stuff in the right place, but we don't connect. We leave it unplugged. And Jesus is saying, I got the power. Faith connects to my power. Unbelief disconnects from my power. But we got a problem. She doesn't have any faith. She's hopeless. She's tried everything. Remember what I said, faith is what pleases God. Faith is what draws on the power. But if I don't have hope, my faith is weakened. So what does she do? Verse 27. It says she had heard about Jesus. Now I want you to look at something. She hears about Jesus. She came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. Verse 28, for she thought to herself, If I can touch his robe, I will be healed. Now, remember everything that she has done up to this point to try to receive what she just got. Because in the next verse, verse 29, it says, and after another 12 years, the bleeding stopped. After an hour, when she got home, What does it say? Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Immediately, on the spot, right there, the bleeding stopped. The bleeding dried up. Up to this point, she has spent all that she could and didn't even get a little bit better. Didn't even find like the the, the kind of, uh, you know, maintenance cure. Like, I mean, it's not out of control. It's not all the way healed, but, but I can deal. Like, it's getting worse, it says. She spent all she had, and it only grew worse. She's been isolated from society. She has an improper view of God and what he can do. She's financially distraught and broke. It has cost her just about everything she has to give in life. And yet, in this one moment, she heard about Jesus. She thought, and the New King James actually says, and she said to herself, she actually spoke the words and declared, I've heard about this man. And she said, she was talking to herself. You ever talk to yourself? She's talking to herself and she says, man, you know what? If I could just get close enough to touch his robe. Now think about how radical that is. Think about how crazy that is. Think about, like, what would even make you think that? But this is what happens. This is the great thing about elimination. This is the awesome thing about the process of elimination is it breaks you down to your core, to where you leave nothing on the table. You say things like this, I'll do whatever it takes to get healed. I'll do whatever it takes to become whole. I'll do, see, this is a crazy thing is when you, desperation sometimes yields the best action. How desperate are you? How badly do you want it? What can stand in your way? The very thing that she was supposed to separate from, she goes into 
the crowd. She could have been in trouble. She could have paid a price for that. But you know what she said? I've already paid a great cost. I've spent everything I have. I can't even associate the way I should be able to associate in my community. I'm broken down on the inside. My identity, her insecurity, her vulnerability. I mean, think about her. Think about the mental state she must be in. Anxiety, depression, broken down. This is a broken person, a broken woman. But it was someone that was at the very lowest and at the very bottom that was able to say, you know what? If I can just get in that crowd, and if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch his clothes, I believe I will be made well. And it had her do something that was even crazier than all the other stuff she had already done. This is what happens through the process of elimination. When we cut away, when we remove things that we don't need to be relying on, when we stop relying on the wrong resources and repeatedly ending up with the wrong results, we finally get to a place where we say, I need Jesus. I need his healing. I need his, I mean, at this point, Jesus has been touching everybody. She has completely reversed the system and says, if I can just touch him, I'll be made whole. This is what desperation does. But desperation only comes when we have eliminated all other possibilities. Desperation only comes when you have eliminated all other possibilities. It's the process of elimination. It's the process of elimination. How do you get hope to rise? You have to quit hoping in everything else. You have to quit relying on all the wrong stuff. You have to get your dependence, your dependence off of people and things and situations. This woman was broken down to her core that she did something that was so radical and so crazy. But it what? Produced the result she was looking for. Look, I'll tell you right now, radical actions in faith will always produce the best results. Radical actions in faith always produce the best results. Worship team, if you'd come. I love how Jesus responds in verse 30. It says, Jesus realized that once the healing power had gone out from him, and so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? Now, at this point, the woman has received her healing. She's received the solution to the physical problem. But remember, there were other areas of her life that were impacted. 
when he re- realized that the healing power had gone out from him, turned around and asked who touched my robe. And his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Because only one was pressing and touching in faith. The only one recorded receiving a miracle in this instance is the woman with the issue of blood. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And verse 33 says, In the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Remember, her identity has been destroyed through all this. We're not just dealing with an issue of blood. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Because when God deals with something, he deals with all of it. God redeems all of it. She just tried to get a little little drive-by miracle, right? She just tried to get one of those anonymous miracles. He said, no, no, no. That's not the only thing that's broken inside of you. Your mind is broken your welfare, your state of life, your mental capacity, your thinking, your identity. He says, there's more. He could have left her right there and she would have gone on, been healed from her physical issue. But God says, I want to redeem all of it. See what happens when you get your trust and your dependence on God? He gets all of it. I said he gets all of it. So Father, we come to you this morning knowing that you are a redeemer. You are a restorer. You are a way maker. You're a miracle worker. You're a promise keeper. Father, we have been putting our reliance and our dependence on the wrong things. And our expectation has gone unmet for so long that disappointment and hopelessness have become more familiar to us than faith. We expect to be disappointed. We expect to be let down. We expect to fail. But Father, by your spirit this morning, I pray that faith arise in this place. Hope arise in this place. Just as with the woman, when she simply heard 
about Jesus, when she heard that Jesus was in the area, when she heard of what Jesus had done, when she had heard about the miracles and the signs and the wonders, when she had heard about the bold preaching and teaching he had been bringing, when she had heard about the kingdom of God that was going to be administered by his power, when she had heard about Jesus, hope began to arise. Her faith was strengthened because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.